going to consider uh, this afternoon <clears throat> comes from Psalms, the eighth chapter, in verse six. And in the New Testament, the Hebrew writer quotes it in um, the second chapter of Hebrews in verse eight. So we'll look at this. That sound okay? Okay. Um, so we'll look at uh, Hebrews, the second chapter, and let's read the uh, prophecy or, or where the writer references Psalms. In Hebrews 2, beginning in verse 6, says, But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. And that's what we want to consider, and that's what I've titled uh, my talk this afternoon is all things under his feet. What do you think that means to have something under your feet? What is he talking about here? What I think it means is to have power over, to have control over, uh, to have dominion over, or to be over the authority of. Have you ever felt like you really had something under your feet? Have you felt like you really had some that you really had power uh, over something? Uh, maybe. At work, you got a promotion, and with that promotion, it gave you a lot more power, and you had the ability to make a lot of uh, big decisions for the company. And so maybe you felt like you really had um, authority over your position in the company. Maybe you've accomplished something that made you feel more powerful. I've personally never run a marathon, but maybe some of you have. But I can imagine if somebody runs a marathon, 20-something, however many miles it is, when they get done with that, they feel like they really have control over their physical being. I mean, that's got to be a really um, uh, something that would make you feel uh, really powerful in, you know, in your health. You know, God gave us uh, at least some level of power, some level of control, and some level of dominance here on this earth. If we go all the way back to Genesis, the very first chapter in the Bible, God said it, uh, said it such that man would rule the earth and he would have dominion over the animals of the earth. And I was fortunate this past week to see an incredible example of that, of how God um, gave us, man, dominion over his creation, his, uh, over animals. And uh, I, I believe it was Thursday night, I went to this class, and this guy named Kurt Pate is this world-class cowboy that travels all over the world and does horsemanship stuff and cattle handling stuff and it was incredible to watch this guy because he came in and there was a horse there that wasn't his and he said he hadn't ridden it in over two years but he when he was on that animal with the slightest uh, motion you could barely see it if you had to be watching really close with his feet and with his hands, he could control that, you know, 1,000, 1,500-pound animal or whatever it was. And he had some uh, dominance over that animal. And it was incredible to see that. One thing that I thought was ironic that he said is, he said, when I'm on this horse, I want to always know where his front feet are. And I want his front feet to be as if they were my front feet. And most of the things that he did, he controlled that horse with his feet. So I thought it was kind of ironic that he was talking so much about, you know, having dominance over the animal with his feet. Uh, in, in considering some of the things that I was studying uh, with this prophecy. But I'm, I'm amazed and intrigued 
by things like that. That we can look at things that God set in motion when he created the earth, and now we can see that those things, you know, are still the same today. You know, we live in a world where so many things change all the time. I mean, the technology that we live around is just always just rapidly changing. But the constants on our life is we can look back in the Bible, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, and we can see things like that that God put in motion that are still relevant today. And that, that strengthens my faith when I get to see examples like that that are really clear, at least in my mind. So what about Jesus' feet? Because that's who we're talking about today, and that's who the Hebrew writer is talking about in the second chapter of Hebrews. He's talking about Christ's dominance over the world. All things have been put under Jesus' feet, and the power uh, that Jesus has. You know, because Jesus gave himself as the perfect sacrifice on the cross, all power was given to him. We see it in several different verses um, in the Bible. The first one I want to look at is to give us an idea of what Christ has power over, is in 1 Peter, the third chapter, in verse 22. I'm sorry, yes. Uh, Jeremy read verses 20 and 21 this morning. In verse 22, speaking of Jesus, it says, "...who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject." To him, So we see that Christ is at the right hand of God and that he has power over angels. Um, and uh, again in Ephesians the, first, Ephesians, the first chapter, in verse 22, it says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. So we see that, that Christ is, uh, has, there, there's a, a, a broad spectrum of things that Christ was given the power over by God. 1 Corinthians, uh, the 15th chapter, shows us <clears throat> that the only thing that Christ doesn't have power over is God himself. Uh, 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. In verse 27, it says, For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. One thing that I find fascinating when considering all this is to think about where's Jesus now? And we can, you know, when trying to draw an illustration in our mind of Jesus and where, where he is, where he sits, and what he has power over, one thing that is congruent through many of the verses, a few of the verses we've read, and there are, are others, is that it says Jesus has sat at the right hand of God. Another one is in um, Mark, the 16th chapter, and verse 19. Mark, the 16th chapter, and verse 19, uh, Jesus had... Uh, been in the grave and was resurrected, and he had gone and, uh, and met with 11 of the disciples. And then in verse 19 it says, So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. What I find significant about that is all throughout time, and even today, but especially in the past, uh, being at the right hand of someone 
was a very special place and a place of honor and a place of power. And uh, we've all heard the saying, uh, well, somebody is my right-hand man. You've all heard that saying. And I think that that is where that comes from, is because the right hand of some, is it's a very honorable place. And so uh, the Bible says repeatedly that, that Jesus is at the right hand of God. Um, another thing that, that I find interesting is that Christ is continually in God's presence. In Hebrews, and we'll read a few verses in a second, but in Hebrews, the eighth chapter, well, really all throughout Hebrews, uh, the writer is, references Christ as our new high priest. So under the old law, the high priests from the first one all the way down the line were very, very important special people. The high priests worked in the temple and they made offerings and sacrifices for uh, the, the children of God that came in there with their animals and with everything that they were offering and sacrificing. And so the high priest, once a year, would only once a year, would go into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was and would be in the presence of God. And when they were in there, they weren't in there a long time. And so for Christ to be our new high priest, and we'll read again a few verses in Hebrews 8, for him to continually be in the presence of God is, is significant it, when you look at the old law and the interaction that the high priest had with God then, or the limited amount of interaction that, that they had with him. Um, so l- let's, let's read a few verses to maybe better try to wrap our heads around that. Hebrews, the eighth chapter, beginning in uh, verse 1, uh, the writer had been uh, telling uh, Jews at this time that were really struggling with Christ and the new covenant. And in chapter 8, he really tries to sum up what he was talking about. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest, talking about Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Here, that right hand uh, of God comes, comes up again. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected, and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. Obviously, talking about himself on the cross. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. But now he has obtained, again talking about Christ, now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, insomuch as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. So I just find that significant. When I'm trying to draw an il- illustration in my mind of what, is, what things are under Christ's feet, right, and where he is and, and the power that he has, uh, it, it just helps me draw a clearer picture. So, you know, if, if Christ has the authority over all things, why are, are there so many people? I mean, it's obvious plainly obvious to us today that there are billions of people who don't follow Christ, you know? Well, I, I thought about it, I go back to the example of the guy on the horse. You know, even though he had the authority over that animal, and that am, animal was, you know, in submission to him, that's a big animal, and he's got a mind of his own, and that animal could have left him, you know, in the, in the dirt somewhere. He could have taken off. He had the, uh, uh, the, the free will to do that. Um, but 
what I find interesting, if we go back to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, Sorry, I skipped a verse. Got ahead of myself. Um, Romans, Romans, the 14th chapter. Romans 14 and 11. It says, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So, as of yet... Uh, at some point, every, everyone, even those who are disobedient, are going to be in complete uh, subjection uh, to Christ. Romans, the 15th chapter, beginning in uh, verse 25, it says, He must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. So, in my mind... Christ is, again, at the right hand of God. He's in the continual presence of God. All things, all power has been given to him by God. And at some point when he comes back, everyone uh, is going to be in complete subjection, subjection unto him. So when God created the earth, he said it such that man would rule the earth and have dominion over the animals. But early on, sin came along. And man doesn't have dominion over that. We obviously know that. We struggle with sin today. It, but for that reason, Jesus came to help us out. Now all things are under his feet. He claimed victory over death and sin through his sacrifice on the cross. So my hope today is that you won't ever minimize Christ, but recognize where he is, who he is, and the power that's been given to him. So this week, let your week be filled with him and do all you can to bring glory to his name. If there's any way the church can help, I'd ask that you'd come as we sing.